I mean, and they're using criminal language when dealing with our children. Um, she assaulted me because. Mocha Mamas is a candid conversation led by two moms of color about race, culture, justice, and social change. We believe that there is power and value when a variety of voices come together to engage in this very important conversation. So no matter what your experience or background may be, there's a place for you at Mocha Mamas. All we ask is that you come ready to learn and that you are always respectful of others. We hope you're ready because the conversation starts now. Hello and welcome to Mocha Mamas. My name is Inez. I am your Mocha Mamas host and I am here today with a guest host. I'm so excited. Uh, Christy, our co-host, is on maternity leave right now, uh, waiting to have her baby right now. So by the time this airs, maybe she would have had her baby. We're super excited about that. Um, but Tamika is sitting in today for Christy. So hey, Tamika. Hey, how are you? Hello, all the beautiful Mocha Mamas out there listening. <laughs> Yay, I'm good. I'm doing good. And I'm so happy to have you here today with us. For, the, for those listening, Tamika has a podcast of her own. It's called Tuesdays with Tamika. And I definitely recommend checking it out. Uh, something I loved, I listened to your podcast. What I loved about it was that you address real life, but you do it in such a positive way like there's a very positive vibe about what you do and I really I love that because life we were just saying this right before we started recording right that like yeah life is heavy and right now yeah it's just heavy but to have a voice out there that's addressing that and not dismissing that and saying yeah it is but having that positive vibe I just I really love that so uh, thank you so much you're welcome so check it out Tuesdays with Tamika and Tamika's also an educator and that is what we are going to be talking about today if you didn't catch last week's episode you might want to go back check that out we talked with Jennifer Purcell who is a school teacher as well and she is a white school teacher She's actually the first white guest we've ever had on the show. Um, so that's kind of cool. And um, it was just, it's really neat because she was so willing to, she didn't come on, she is an expert in her field, but she didn't come on as an expert in the issues of race. She came on very transparent with these are the issues that I have had. Like as a white teacher, she was teaching in the Bronx. Wow. And yeah, very, um, very ill-equipped, very ill-equipped. Like, I'm just like, <laughs> I can't even believe that we're doing this to our teachers. Yeah. And so she was just so transparent about her experience and being uh, ill-equipped to, to teach in a diverse setting. And um, so it was just a really interesting show. So go ahead and, and listen to that. We're going to continue the conversation today. Uh, Tamika and I are going to be talking about racial disparities in the public school system. We did mention some of these last week, but we're going to dive in a little bit more. And Tamika, feel free if there's anything specifically. We have a lot to cover. We may not yeah. cover it all, but if there's something specific that you want to cover, please uh, jump in there and let me know. Um, but yeah, so we'll just start going over some of the racial disparities that disparities that we see 
And we are specifically talking, uh, yes, there's racial disparities for all children of color, being that seven, uh, was it 70 or 80? Now I'm escaping my notes. Um, percent of teachers are white. So that is a disparity for all children of color. But we are a lot of what we're talking about today is specific to black children. Yes. And um, so one thing is that um, one thing that really struck me and I would love if you could share, Tamika, maybe if you've seen this as you're as an educator, um, but that non-black teachers have significantly lower educational expectations for black students. So when a black teacher is evaluating the same student, they're going to evaluate them with a higher expectation than a white student. And you are nodding your head. So go ahead, jump <laughs> in. Oh, man, it is. It is so just disheartening even hearing that, you know, but I, I was actually on a webinar yesterday and they were talking about how um, children of color and particularly black students and even more particularly uh, black boys, right? Um, they don't, the standards are not the same for them. So they automatically um, assume special ed, like literally from third, starting in, in about third grade, um, African-American students, black boys are often, I would say more than half um, of, of the time tested for um, special ed classes. Wow. They're tested wow. for, and they're not receiving the same, um, the, the, the buzzwords in education right now is equity versus equality, right? So a lot of times they believe just because they're coming from lower social economic classes, because they, you know, because of their economics, because of their um, home environments, their culture, that they can't, they don't even give them the opportunity to try. Like it's not even, they don't even push them to the same limits. Um, they, black students are given worksheets where uh, white students are giving the textbooks and they're they're letting them wow this really is, yes and i i wow. hate to say it but this is me um working in the field as an edge you know being able to see it firsthand and this is also from personal experience so um inez one of the things that you didn't uh, mention is i also am a mother to black yes. students have, so uh, no, no, you're fine. I have uh, me and my husband together. We have a blended family and we have eight children and I see uh, my own kids. I'll never, never forget, which kind of sparked me to want to really be an advocate and a voice for my kids. Um, my boys have always been higher, right? Um, education like they um, in California, we have what's called gate. So it's for gifted um, mm -hmm. So they go into these uh, classes for, and my, my children have always been in those classes, but uh, we moved to um, Iowa for a very short period of time. And when my kids moved, they were tested for speech. They were tested. They wanted to put them on an IEP. Wow. Um, I was furious. Um, I went to the schools and I advocated because my, my boys told me that they were pulled out for these services. And I questioned, and I remember the, um, the white educator told me, well, all black kids have speech. And I, <gasps> I, I was floored. I, it was, it was literally unbelievable. I was like, I cannot believe that you are. So it's not only uh, driving while black that we have to be worried about. We have right. to worry about our students learning while black. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, that is shocking. Like my jaw literally dropped. Like yeah. you know, I can't. 
that's just, yeah. As a mom, that makes me so mad. And we are going to get to that a little bit more about how to advocate for our children. I personally, at this point, have made the choice not to enroll my son in traditional school. That may change down the road. And, but I've just chosen, you know, he's starting kindergarten and I'm like, it's so, you know, it's so young anyway to have him all day away from home and stuff. But, uh, a huge reason, a very big part of why I made that decision is because of the way that black students are treated. And my son is, I mean, you can tell, obviously I'm not black, but, um, I'm Latina, but my son is multiracial black. And so I just, I know, and even being a student of color, but because he is black, you know, to the yes. world, he's, he's black. And yes. so I just know, like, I'm not, I don't feel equipped for that. And I hope I'm excited to, to talk to you in a few minutes about some tools that we can give moms to advocate for their children. But I feel like at this point in time, the best place for my son is at home with yeah. me. And a lot of this, it's for these reasons um behavior is another big one oh. a, a big one right i mean we can do a whole episode on this alone on how on just the difference between the way black students are um punished harshly punished like compared for compared to to white children so black students are suspended at a higher rate and there is a link, which I do want to do an episode on this, the pipeline to prison. The playground to prison pipeline, yes. So yes. Um, did you want to read that statistic? Yeah. Oh, no, go ahead, go ahead. Okay, because um, I can just say, so I work, um, I have middle school and high school. So I have actually three schools in the school district that I work for. And my primary function is um, I'm a therapeutic behavior strategist. So I work with behaviors. So I will give you, these numbers are really gonna, if your jaw dropped for the last thing that I just shared, I work in the, a school, the, I'll just take my middle school, for example. There are about, um, 21, 20, you know, 2000 students, let's just say, just give it a round number. There's about 2000 students. I would say 50, there's only about 58 of these students that are African American. However, they make up more than 75% of the wow. suspension rate. Um, at the beginning of last school year, um, I, I was tasked to do the hard data, right? To sit down and really look at the numbers. An African American student, doing the exact same thing mm -hmm. that a white student that even a latino student is doing yeah um they will get suspended for three days where the white student may get a counseling session they may get a you know a literally the same thing um what black kids do that is seen as um i mean and they're using criminal language when dealing with our children. Um, she assaulted me because a, 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 a 13 year old girl curses at what 13, you know, I was a 13 year old girl at one time, <laughs> you know what I mean? And thank God I, I never got uh, in trouble for the stuff that came out of my mouth, but did I curse at adults? Yes. You know, did I assault them? No, no, that's not that they're using criminal language to label our children where it, and, and, Oh, you know, it's it's so disheartening because, and I know that this is maybe not the space to get into this, but we see um, in today's society, 
black man accused mm-hmm. of perjury dies. Black student accused of cheating on the test, suspended, expelled, um, put into um, non-public schools. Non-public schools, there's a direct link. And these are schools, literally, they model prisons. The kids have to go in. They have to be frisked as they come on. There's... um, uh, metal detectors. They can't have pencils. They can't have. They can't have anything upon arrival. These students for things that kids do, they're being sent to these places. Um, the suspension rate is ridiculous, and especially for African American um, boys. Um, research shows that by the by third grade again and i don't know why at that age and and it terrifies me because i have a son that's eight um he's going into um third grade next year but i like you inez i have opted out of traditional public school my children's go my children go to a charter smaller environment it's Mm -hmm. it's it just works for us you know they're um it's culturally sensitive, cultural competency. There are um, white teachers there, but the white teachers um, are a part of the culture because I, I don't believe all white teachers are bad. You know, I believe that there are some out there like your guests you had last week they um, that have a heart for this, but unfortunately, they're not given the tools. Exactly. Research shows that um, the white, younger white teachers without the experience in the background are put into the hardest schools with the most difficult behaviors because to keep it 100 to keep it real these students are coming to us with systematic trauma they're coming to us with complex trauma and then they're putting these young unequipped white teachers and so all they know to do is to suspend same thing is happening on our worldwide we're putting these young uh, young equipped fearful police officers Mm -hmm in our neighborhoods and they don't understand our culture and it's it's i am a loud voice for our students i am an extremely loud voice for our students because research shows by the by um ninth grade if you've gotten a significant amount of suspensions referrals office referrals you will be in prison you will be in prison. Um, if you are put in special ed classes, these classes, again, they model prisons. They model, you know, and, and you are doing the, let me just um, validate you because you're doing the right choice by not putting your son in traditional school settings. Thank you. If you've been on a playground on any elementary school campus, hopefully after COVID, things are going to change and people are going to realize that we can't continue to operate in the way that we have, where we're starting to look at the social emotional well-being of our of our children and our students. However, uh, you walk into a, a elementary school um, and when the whistle blows, everyone has to stop, freeze, fall on the ground. Mm-hmm. Hands behind your back, no touching, no talking. What are we teaching our babies? Yeah, it's true. And, you know, you mentioned you had made a comment like maybe, you know, maybe this isn't the space for this as you're getting into talking about the about black men and women. It happens. I just read an article about a woman that was killed by the police. Um, It just happened yesterday. Or no, actually, I think it happened today. And um, so it happens to men and women, but there is a connection, you know, and that's what, like, that's why I think it's so important that we 
talk about this and talk about education and talk about the fact that, yeah, when students are suspended, they, they're more likely to end up in the prison system. And who's getting suspended? It's right. the black students. They're right. at like disproportionate rates. They're being suspended. And so there absolutely is a connection with that. And there's a connection with the way that students, black students are treated in school and the way that they're treated in the world and the way they're treated by police officers. We see this and it's not okay. Um, and I think as parents, this is our world with our kids, you know, in schools and stuff. And like, this is where we can have, not that we can't have influence out there and we shouldn't use our voices. We absolutely should. But like, right, this is where, to me, like, this is where I'm at right now. Like, yeah, this is, and I love what you're doing in being a voice for these students because it's just, it's, it's heartbreaking. And I know that not every, not every mom has the ability to keep their child home or yeah. even has the, the knowledge that you have in the time and, and the time and the education that you have to put into making a decision to put your kids in charter schools. And so mm -hmm. we need people like you fighting for all of our babies. Yeah. And, and I, I, I really appreciate it. And um, I think it's, yeah, it's so needed. And um, you know, something, else that we did address you know we talked about last week was in the difference in the way that white teachers teach versus the way that black teachers right and the expectations we just commented on that and the fact that um you know the more times a black student is matched with a black teacher the less likely that student is to be is to be suspended mm -hmm. and so have you seen and do you know of any uh, because i education is not my realm i'm not real plugged into that, but are there programs to help and encourage black people to become teachers? Um, are there things out there? Are there organizations that are really pushing for young black people to enter into the teaching career? Unfortunately, I don't know any um, right offhand. And I, I believe honestly, because um, uh, African Americans are jaded because of their mm -hmm. own experience. I don't even, I, I can tell you, um, I have, I have a 21 year old and I have a 19 year old, my 19 year old, he is a natural teacher. Like literally he was born to teach and something like his mama, right? I just get it. <laughs> but he, uh, he, uh, uh, after exiting high school, everybody was telling him his teachers everyone oh Moses you should be a teacher you should be a teacher you you just like he has it he has that special gift to um make things simple make things understandable and he had initially enrolled in school to be a teacher um and then he um came to me very tearfully very um disheartened and he said um mom I can't do this he said my whole educational experience i remember raising my hand wanting to engage you know my teachers to engage in me sometimes they never even looked at me so he felt because of his own experiences with the educational system he didn't want to enter that field you know he didn't want to be a part of that he didn't want to be a part of that system that 
ultimately hurt him. You know, yeah. like you said, luckily um, he has me and he, you know, he knew that I would go to bat for him. There's, I could tell you stories upon stories, um, middle school where he called me, um, I would get phone calls. Um, there's four of them hanging out, you know, him and maybe two Latino boys and another black boy. They're hanging out at lunch and I would get a call that they're being disruptive. It's lunch. They're playing. They're boys, you know. And and because and he's very vocal. He he would often I taught him. I taught my children to advocate for themselves. He picked mm -hmm. it up. I think my other children. Um, so he just did not want to be a part of that system. And I think that that is the reality of a lot of black people. You know, they don't want to be a part of it. They don't want to be a part of something that hurt them. So it's unfortunate. Um, I wish that there were more because we do. Um, my, my sister is a kinder teacher and daily I praise her for the work she does. She works in an um, urban area and it's difficult. Mm -hmm. You know, it is difficult. And even for her uh, dealing with um, her parents, her parents are not 90% are African-American or Latino. And um there's even a distrust. Me and her often talk about the distrust of the parents and the edge, you know, so even her being an African-American woman, yeah. uh -huh. parents still are very um, timid and, and worried about, you know, are you doing the right thing for my child? So there's a battle that she's constantly fighting to let her parents know that she's here for the kids and she's going to advocate for them. And she pushes uh, Black History Month and not that it's not only for a month, that it's history. Right. We should be teaching this all year long, you know? And so, um, yeah, I went the long way to say, no, there are not any programs to push, you know, African-Americans into the educational field. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's too bad, but it's definitely understandable. So what would you say, because we know that there are some, you know, uh, they are definitely, there's not many, but there are black teachers out there and there are white teachers that are anti-racist. Uh, yeah. But again, like we said, they may not be equipped for this work. So what would you, what are some tips that you would give to teachers of color or anti-racist teachers? Yeah, so I would definitely, um, years ago I did a workshop for teachers and it was, um, the premise was um, your story matters. So I think um, a lot of times when we enter the professional world, we think that we there's a look and we have to be professional. We have to. But the art of relationships, like when you make a relational connection with your students, you will win them forever. You know, when you are authentic, when you are transparent, you know, of course, there's lines and you don't have to go in there and just spill your guts out and tell them everything about you or about your, but when you, kids are the greatest lie detectors, right? So they know yes. you are being real. They know when you are being authentic. They know when you care about them. Um, and they know when you don't, they know it, you know, uh, my students tell me all the time, my teachers don't care about me. So if you enter into this field or any field where human lives are your is your work 
you need to make sure that you care about these kids, you know, that you take the time. It's something as simple as um, when I start my morning, I, I start with happy crappy, you know, and if you're younger, you could say um, highs and lows, you know, uh -huh. there's so, you know, there's so many different variations of this, but I start with that and I go around the room and everybody has to share one happy and one crappy because if Johnny didn't sleep last night because his mom, um, got off of work late and he had to watch his kids, his brothers and sisters all night. And these are the true stories of our students, right? Mm -hmm. If um, Maria didn't, didn't um, eat this morning because they only had enough food for her younger siblings, like these are true stories of our babies and they will share them. If you give them the space to share them, then you know how to work with them, right? So when Maria has her head down, when Johnny has his head down, it's not that they're being disrespectful. They may be tired. They mm -hmm. may be hungry. You know, they may. So, so doing a morning check-in, you know, um, younger grades, I would say, um, how's your weather, right? So they can say, I'm having a sunny day. I'm having a rainy day. I'm having a cloudy day. I'm having a windy day, windy day. They're all over the place, you know, and, and teaching them that to use their voice to advocate, um, and then you know how to, you, then you're not going to send them to the office because they maybe snapped at you or they, and, and, and in addition to all of that, that I just shared, don't take it personal. Don't take this teaching at the educational field is a lot like parenting, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's one of those thankless jobs that you don't see the fruits of your labor until years later. We're planting seeds. We're giving hope. So just because the student maybe um, you created this great lesson plan and you think that everyone's going to enjoy it and they don't enjoy it, it's not about you. Stop taking everything so personal. <laughs> you know. So I can relate to that. I'm uh, like I'm not a teacher, but I'm actually a children's pastor. So mm -hmm. I. I work with kids and I can definitely relate to that where sometimes I like poured my heart and soul into something. And this is like, these are the best games and the best <laughs> lesson. And this is like going to be the best day ever. And they just like, they're like, you know, eh. it's okay. And I'm like, no, but I spent so much time. So it's true, but you can't, you can't take it personal. They're kids yeah. and they have, I mean, yeah. I mean, there's just, they have so many other things going on. I love that. I'm going to check that with my son, the, yes. the weather. Because I do, um, I make it a point with my son to check in with his emotions. And we have these emotion cards. And so when he's, uh, you know, when things are just, when he's having a tantrum or something, um, I, my default used to be, I would just like, okay, I've tried to do, I would just like, you're in trouble, you know, like, go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but now like we have this um, tent and a tent that he got for his, for Christmas and so he goes and sits in the tent and there's you know soft like plush plush stuffed animals in there and stuff and I have these emotion cards that he can go through and show me like how he's feeling but I really like the um and I and I do in addition to that not just when he's had a tantrum at nighttime I'll check in with him to yeah. see how he's feeling but it's hard to always like know how to get a four-year-old to express that so mm -hmm. I really really like the the sunny sunny day cloudy day yeah I love that and, and you know um this just popped in my my mind so I, I want to share it um you know we often um evaluate kids right so they get quarterly report cards they get um progress reports they get all this on how they are imagine 
if they were allowed to give us progress reports, mm. give us report cards. And I think that that's something that needs to be implemented into the school system so that you can know how are you doing with this kid? Because I, I this just popped in my mind as you were talking about your son. Um, I do this with my kids. I ask them like every you know, three months or so, like, how am I doing as a mom? Like, what can I get better at? What can I, what am, what do I need to lose? Like, what, what do I need, you know, to do? Because I believe, you know, my dad used to always say, closed mouth, don't get fed. Right. Mm -hmm. So I can't fix something. <laughs> I can change something that I don't know. So imagine if we allowed, if we gave our children the power to tell their teachers, you know, you're going to have those, some kids that are just being, kids and they're going to say something mean and they're going to say but for the most part kids they they really want to be there they want the structure they want you know and they want to learn kids want to learn so if you you may be doing something you know as the youth pastor as you know and they're like mm, this and just giving <laughs> the opportunity to really share what um, resonates with them what they need to hear what they need to know i think that that could like change the trajectory of the educational system, you know? No, I think that's great. And it's very true. Kids are, kids are so honest and they're not for the most part, you know, there's, there's still the younger ones, especially like they're still so innocent. Like yeah. they're not saying things to be hurtful. You know, like I know sometimes my son says things like, wow, that was hard. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But I'm like, he's, that's not his intention. You know, he's just, he's honest. So I love that. I think getting yeah. the feedback from kids would be great. Even just how knowing that like they get a, a certain vibe, you know, yeah. from them. I did put my son into preschool for a very brief amount of time when I had switched over jobs and I thought, well, we're just going to try this because I've primarily have worked from home. And um, he would, it was like a month in and, um, he would be real, I, he was real anxious about going to school. And I noticed that, and uh, I already had my reservations about that teacher. So I was like, okay, what's going on? And then he just, you know, finally he told me, you know, that she was, he would never say he didn't want to go to school because of her, but then he finally said, she's just so mean. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I was like, okay, you know, and I believed him because yeah. those were his words. Oh. Now, do I like, do I think she's mean? No, I don't think she's mean, but I do believe that she, the way she interacted with him came across to him as mean. Yes. Because she wasn't loving, she wasn't real nurturing, like a three-year-old needs, you yeah. know? And so, um, so yeah, he wasn't lying and he wasn't trying to be mean. And maybe at 12 years old, he could have a better word for saying mm -hmm. she's mean. But at four years old or three years old, that's all that he knew it as. Wow. So I, I, I love that. Yeah, I mean, and kudos to you for believing him, right? Thank you. If, if as we're moving, probably going to move into what can parents do to we are. Advocate, that's it. Believe your kids, you know, believe your kids when I, I think, um, you know, I, I heard you say you're a pastor, so I'm going to bring out my church knees now. Okay, no <laughs> I believe no that God um, has a way of, you know, the, the word of God says that he works in mysterious ways. So I believe that this COVID-19, the coronavirus, it's a setup. Um, and so parents have been forced to really know their kids. Mm -hmm. 
to learn mm-hmm. their kids, right? So, um, and in the past, unfortunately, just because of the way our world is set up, most homes, one, if they're if you're lucky enough to have a two-parent home, which that's few and far between, but if you are lucky enough to have a two-parent home, both parents are working. Most kids are dropped off between 6.30 and 7 a.m. in the morning, and they're not picked up between 5 and 6.30 at night, right? So these mm-hmm. parents, so the, the school system have has been raising these kids and they, and unfortunately the school system has been a terrible co-parent in a lot of cases. Um, but parents now that their kids are home, they've kind of been forced to really know who their kids are. So you know, you know, in the past, um, when kids would do something, parents would, um, it would just be like kind of swept under the rug because they don't really, they didn't really know their kids. If you, if your kids are in the care of somebody else for 12 hours a day, right. time you pick them up, um, you're, you're going through a drive-through, you're feeding them, you're giving them an iPad, you're putting them in the shower and you're going to bed, right? You mm-hmm. don't, you're not, and then on the weekends you have those two days with them, but think about us that work a full, um, 40 hour work week on the weekends, we are recharging. So mm-hmm. we're not, our normal selves. We're kicking it. We're in the bed. We're asleep. We're relaxing. The same thing is happening with the kids. So the kids you see on the weekend is not the kids that you, that we see, that the educators see all the, you know, throughout the week. So now parents learn your kids, talk to your kids, believe your kids. You know, I have, again, I'm going to say it again for those in the back that didn't hear me. I got eight kids. Right. It's not easy, but I spend um, time with each of them, getting to know them, whether it's a quick trip to the grocery store and I'm just going to take one so we can talk. And, you know, I could figure out what's going on in his or her mind. You know, if I'm um, I have a, a great tool that for kids that once they get into their tween years and they don't really like talking to you anymore, I do journals. So I get a, a journal. It could be, you know, you can go to Barnes and Noble and buy a fancy one, or you can go to the Dollar Tree and get a notebook. And I write questions down and I put it under their pillow. And then when they're ready to answer, they put it back underneath my pillow. So you can know what's going on in your kid's life. Listen to what type of music that they listen to. A lot of times that'll tell you, um, the feelings that they're feeling. Um, I have a student that I'm working with right now. She's 18. Um, and when she was in the fifth grade, um, she's a Latino student. She was, when she was in the fifth grade, her teacher embarrassed her so bad, um, that she like create, it created this complex in her. And I was the first person that she talked to this, to about this with, you know, um, her teacher made her, she's a, um, a curvier girl, you know, and in the fifth grade, you know, her body is going through all these changes and she would constantly wear a sweater and her teacher forced her in front of the whole class to take off her sweater and stand there in front of the class. Teacher in her mind, I want to believe that her intentions were pure and she was like trying to build this girl's self-esteem, but she tore her down, you know, because she had everyone look at her and say, now tell her she looks fine. Tell her completely inappropriate like toward this this girl at 18 she has no voice she refused to talk she refuses to and so she works with me on a weekly basis and her mom doesn't even know this like she doesn't feel comfortable talking Mm -hmm. to her mom because this is what happens in the latino and the black uh, mamas you know we go and tell them that teacher did what i'm gonna go up there and i'm gonna tell them yes exactly they're scared because they're like oh my god my mama 
there and raise hell. You know? <laughs> so now the kids don't want to say nothing because they know they mama crazy. And so <laughs> we have to learn how to, you know, we tell little ones. I'm sure you tell your little boy, use your words. We tell yes. that we tell our kids at such a young age. You we have to do that. As parents, we have to know, go to the parent-teacher conferences. Please go to the, um, every school district has board meetings that are open. Go to those, go to the um, parent nights, like go to these things. It saddens me. I mean, Latino parents, they come out, they show out, they come and they bring their food and they be there and I'll be with them, you know? <laughs> they're gonna be there, but African-American parents, they're not there. They're not being so art. So what is that telling your kids? You don't care. You don't care about my edge. You know, they'll be at the football games. They'll be at the basketball games, but they're not at the parent teacher conferences. They're not at the back to school nights. They're not. We have to do better. We have to do better. And we have to. So our kids know that we have their back like 100 percent when it comes to, um, you know, their education. Oh, thank you so much. I love, I think I could talk to you all day. <laughs> this, is, this is so good. Um, I mean, this is so good. Thank you so much for your tips. And something I do, I want to add as I'm listening to talk about advocating for our children is that, again, we know that not every child has that. And yeah. so I want to say, you know, that it's important for us to advocate for our own children, but also understand that we're, we can advocate for other children as well. And that when we're down there, like not every child is blessed to have a mom that is going to go down there and is going to be involved in, in all of that. And, and it's not because I want to be very clear in saying this, it's not necessarily because the mom doesn't care. It's because the mom might be working she three can't. jobs mm -hmm. or, you know, taking the bus to and from work for yeah. two hours. So there's other, I want to be very clear yeah. in saying that it's not because they don't care, but if you're a mom who is able, like you're able to get down there, get down there and yeah. fight, not just for your own kids, but for all the other kids that don't have a mom that can go down there and do it. Yeah. So, oh man, that's, so beautiful that you said that. I remember um, someone told me, like kind of prophesied over my life and said that I was going to be like a mom to many children that I didn't birth. And literally when I walk into the schools, I have so many kids that call me mom that, you know, on the on the younger school levels, um, even at my kids school, they have um, something called books and um uh, moms and muffins. It's called moms and muffins. Oh. Uh, they come and they, uh, for third graders, they read um, stories to their moms. So many students, their moms couldn't come for all those reasons that you mentioned, you know, they just either transportation or working or whatever. And I like the kids would fight. Miss Thomas is gonna be my mom today. She's gonna be my mom, you know, and I would go in there and I would tell my I, I have to constantly tell my children and, and thank them for um, loaning me to the world, you know, because I am, you know, that a, a, a light, you know, I, I've, I've learned to just accept what God has called me to be. And um, my kids, you know, I, I thank them for allowing me to be that to other people. Um, but yeah, I agree. You know, I, I heard um, a, a teacher and she was a white teacher um, in um, New York area. And she was saying, 
Um, it wasn't until she had children of her own. And when she had her daughter, you know, that sense of like, they're your world. Mm-hmm. And she thought it changed her view and her perspective and her per- paradigm of her own students. These students are somebody else's world. And just because you may not be able to see how that mom looks at their children, how that mom, when that baby walks in, and that baby is sometimes a six-year-old, 16-year-old, stinky attitude <laughs> boy, right? <laughs> but when they walk into the room, how how that mom heart still flutters, when they hear their the good news of their child, how they're, we have to sometimes let that child know how important that they are because their parents can't be there to do it. We have to be the one. I when I see my students on campus, before they leave my room, I tell them either a high five or a hug because I need you to know how important you are. I need you to know, you know, that you matter. I need you to know that someone sees you and someone loves you. You know, and I tell them that like I I love you like so much as if you're my own. You know, and I think if we all. Um, Mother Teresa has a quote that says, kindness is the language that the blind can see and the deaf can hear. Mm -hmm. And I think, ah, isn't that so beautiful? Like if we all just lived by that and treated people that way, especially our most vulnerable. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much. This has been a great conversation. I really appreciate it. Don't forget to check out Tuesdays with Tamika um, and get more of this yeah. <laughs> positivity, encouragement, <laughs> and it's awesome. I love it. Thank you so much, Tamika. Thank, Thank you. you. Well, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Mocha Mamas. We really want to know what you have to say about this subject. So we invite you to join us and further the conversation in our Mocha Mamas Facebook group. You can also reach out to us on social media. We are Mocha Mamas Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And if you loved today's episode, we would really appreciate it if you could leave us a review. It helps us to get word out about the Mocha Mamas podcast. Thank you again for listening. And we look forward to our next conversation with you.